there, folks. You're listening to the Tough Like a Girl podcast. My name is Vera. And I'm Liz. And we are doing something of a revisiting this time, something that we actually haven't done before. So we've had instances of looking at other works by creators, uh, writers, who we've done b- before. But this is our first time returning to a character that we've already done. We are taking a look at the second collected volume of Ms. Marvel. Uh, we actually have kind of looked at one other character, which is Diana. Yeah, but they were completely different takes. Okay, fair. I'm disinclined to count that because, mm-hmm. like, honestly, we actually haven't done main universe Wonder Woman yet. We did Earth 1, and then we did the teen version. Yeah. This is a direct follow-up. Okay, yes, true. Okay, I get what you're saying now. So, in any case, this is Volume 2, Generation Y, which fittingly also reveals why we chose to bring this back, which is Generation Y was also the name of the first episode of the Disney Plus Ms. Mm-hmm. Marvel TV series, which at time of recording has had two episodes air, yep. both of which we've seen, mm-hmm. uh, and we'll talk about a little later, I'm sure. Definitely. But, um, yeah, this is us returning to the writing of G. Willow Wilson, um, and this, vo- this volume actually collects six issues. Normally it's five for these, but this one at six, I suspect just to fully tie off the story arc, because mm-hmm. otherwise it was going to leave basically one issue dangling. Yeah. So this is a collection of six uh, mm-hmm. issues, with two of them being drawn by Jacob Wyatt and the remainder being drawn by Adrian Alfona. Um, the coloring was done by Ian Herring, Lettering by Joe Caramagna. Uh, and, yeah, so this is a revisitation. Both of us liked Ms. Marvel a fair bit mm-hmm. when we read Volume 1. Mm-hmm. This one picks up following that with a couple of things. It's continuing the narrative thread of Kamala Khan, uh, the recently uh, empowered and embiggened superhero. Ms. Marvel. Ms. Marvel. Yes. Uh, and as she tries to protect Jersey City, mm-hmm. and she is dealing with the machinations of a giant sentient bird called the Inventor, mm-hmm. who really does not like having it pointed out that he's a bird. <laughs> um, bird brain. Yeah. That's probably why. Well, so she's... She's working on dealing with him, but some other stuff comes in, which is that uh, they also kind of fully tie together what her origin actually was Mm -hmm. and make it explicit for anyone who didn't know what the hell was up with the mist Mm -hmm. that gave her her powers at the start of all this. Mm -hmm. And also, she gets a pet. Oh my gosh, the best pet. So, yes, because we are now involving the Inhumans, which is technically what uh, Kamala is... Uh-huh. That means that we get to introduce folks like Medusa, who's the queen of the Inhumans, but more importantly, Lockjaw, <sighs> who is a giant <laughs> teleporting bulldog with a tuning fork on his forehead and a mustache. Yes. Oh my gosh, he's the cutest and the best, and he makes little sounds throughout the book, and I love him. He was my favorite part. <laughs> I am. I am. Not at all surprised. <laughs> I know you are not. You should. Anyone who knows me should not be remotely surprised that the dog is my favorite part. 
that having been said, we see Kamala, we get reminders that she's still getting a handle on her powers as she learns that, like, she does have certain healing abilities that her powers grant her, but what she's learning is that when she has to heal, it kind of temporarily disables her general stretchy ability. Mm -hmm. uh, the way that gets explained is that when she heals, it's like she's resetting to her default form. Mm -hmm. And it, it just makes it hard to do anything else. And the more healing is involved, the longer it's going to be before she can do much of anything else. Mm -hmm. So that's an interesting way to, to try and uh, nerf her abilities a little bit, which is a term she herself used because she's a nerd. Mm -hmm. she, she compared it to uh, gaming where like, oh, you get a real good character build going, then the devs nerf your class. Mm -hmm. Which... If you've ever gamed, you know what that means. And if you don't, that sounds like nonsense, what I just said. Yeah, it does kind of sound like nonsense to me. <laughs> well, <laughs> so um, there's that. But eventually, uh, we do sort of find out exactly what um, the inventor's plan is. I think we'll get into that a little bit later. And uh, his eventual defeat. And along the way, we have an encounter with Wolverine that as well. That was yes. Um, so let's, let's start overall and then we'll hit some of the specifics. Overall, what'd you think? I think I like this one even better than the first one. Mainly, partially because, well, mainly because of Lockjaw. Lockjaw. Oh my gosh, he was adorable. Um, there just wasn't, like, we didn't have to deal with Zoe as much. I, we kind of found out more about the inventor and his plan. Um, I just felt like it was a little more tied together and she was a little more certain of herself i enjoyed the wolverine cameo and like he was throughout the first issue pretty much or second issue one or both of them i don't remember it was the second issue i believe second issue um so it was really good he was really good in it it was well done i didn't feel like in other places where we've had lots of them dropped in and i was like what what's going on why no, this worked well. Um, yeah, like, so for comparison, when we did White Tiger, we were like, why are these characters showing up? Um, whereas here, like, it it just, it flowed much better. He had great interactions with her, too. He's yeah. like, by, the, like, the end, he's like, I like you, kid, you know, and stuff, and, like... Well, and it was also an interesting point in Wolverine's own timeline to bring him in because this was during a period when his own healing factor didn't work anymore. Mm -hmm. So suddenly you had, you know, a, char a character with a fairly new set of pretty decent superpowers and one of, you know, the legends of this narrative universe mm -hmm. whose best known feature aside from the claws is basically being unkillable. Mm-hmm who currently does not have his accelerated healing factor, and then paired with Kamala, who can use her healing but loses the rest of her powers by doing so, you yeah. realize, oh, maybe they aren't, they aren't going to just mop the floor with this mega gator. Yes. <laughs> oh, yeah, it was the mega gator. Now I remember that. Um, yeah, and... I, I, yeah, the Wolverine stuff was good. Um... Again, at first I was a little iffy on, like, the inventor's whole plan and the... I, I kind of want to circle back to that, hold, okay, we'll hold on to that, to that for a little bit, because I'm a little bit of two minds on it. Um, Something early on I liked, I liked uh, Sheikh Abdullah oh, quite a bit. Oh, yeah. Uh, the interactions in the mosque. Yeah, yeah who we get at the uh, at the front end. And there's um there's a particular uh, thing, there's a, there's a couple of lines that I really liked, like... 
Um, Kamala saying to him, wait, you're not going to tell me to be a good girl, focus on my study, do uh, Istikfar, or yeah, I'll probably butcher that, or something. If I told you to do that, you'd ignore me. <laughs> so I'm like, he's like... He knows what she's Yeah, about. he knows what's up. Uh, and later on, she's like, I can't believe it. I thought you were going to warn me about Satan and boys. I've been teaching youth lectures at this mosque for 10 years. If I still have to warn you about Satan and boys, I should lose my job. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, I like this guy. I like him a lot. <laughs> he doesn't appear really much after that, but it, it, it's a really good reminder that, um, you know, Kamala's background and her faith and her family aren't vestigial features. This informs her outlook and this stuff matters to her and it's not... It's not an idle thing that she is Muslim and sort of seeing that integrated with interesting characters as opposed to just an aesthetic that pops up now and then is just nice. Um, I also like that this is her figuring out too that she can't do it alone. Mm, like yeah. that, that's a big theme in this one because she is like, I got this and like it's pretty much throughout her being like, okay, maybe I don't, and maybe I do need some help, and maybe I should inform others what's going on. Yeah. You know? And again, it's one of those things that actually makes the Wolverine thing work more than a lot of cameos we've seen elsewhere, because Wolverine, classically, despite being a member of a team, is frequently a loner, uh -huh. and boy, does he need a hand right now. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it, it's the themes that they play with are really good. Yeah. Um, they're really well done in this this volume so yeah there isn't a lot there were a lot of aspects that could have felt vestigial or like just thrown in because comics but like it it all feels a lot more thoughtful like no this is here because that actually enhances the story mm -hmm. and there's lockjaw and there's lockjaw who you He's don't you don't need to justify bringing in lockjaw if it's lockjaw it's better that's just oh, what he's happens. So cute. He's so gigantic and cute and makes cute noises. And hopefully we will get a picture of him jumping in midair because <laughs> it's amazing. I, I will try and find that for the um for the I also for the like whenever we can see his little puppy paws. <laughs> the the toe beans. The toe beans. I love his toe beans. I pretty much love everything about Lockjaw. <laughs> Um, any thoughts on Medusa and, like, the general background that we get as far as the Inhumans and what their deal is? I just don't know the story behind that much. I was intrigued, but I could have used more of that. But if it meant less Lockjaw, then whatever. I mean, I it's, it's basically, it's a gloss over, but it's, you know, it's an entire super-powered branch of humanity... Uh -huh. created by the Kree, like, a long, 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 oh, long, yeah. long okay. time they ago. Oh, yeah, okay, they did explain that a little bit. And they have, and they have innate powers, but they're dormant until they're exposed to the, to Terrigen, which was what the, the mist, mist was, was that hit her in the, in the first book. issue, yeah. yeah. Um, and, of course, Kamala didn't know she had, um, inhuman genes. Yeah. So, she, she had assumed she was a mutant, which would have been the, Thing that made sense, but it's because she didn't know how this worked. Which is fair. So, yet she's also finding out that in addition to, you know, her friends, her family, other superheroes, there's this entire group. I, I don't know whether the Inhumans are considered a race or not. There's this entire collection of wildly varied, super-powered people who she also 
you know, has a claim to mm-hmm. being part of that group. Girl's got connections. Yeah, she does. Yeah, and, like, Medusa only shows up for a bit. I don't know a ton about her as a character. Um, but she seems fine. I like her, that her family is a little more accepting and lets her keep Lockjaw. Yeah, the, her family, see, her mother especially, seems to have eased off a little bit. Mm-hmm. She's still, like, very overprotective, very concerned, but she seems to have softened a little bit versus... Because I remember kind of being a little back and forth with her, in the, with her in the first volume. volume. Yeah. Um, because it really, it almost felt like it was leaning too much into the overprotective Mother. thing. Yeah, yeah. Where I feel like here, I feel like she's A, been softened a little bit, and B, they actually give like a little bit of better context where her uh, reactions made more, more sense to me. Uh-huh. Like, there's a line she has where she said, we came here so our children would be safe. Uh, Safe from the corruptions and the bombings back home. Only after we arrived did we discover school shootings, date rape, drugs, and gangs, and now giant robots. So, like, it it, it gave her some shading and some context where I'm like, ah, you thought you were going to get to relax when you got here, and it's just a different kind of awful. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah, it makes a little bit more sense to me now that you're this high strung. Yeah. Yep, well, valid. No, very valid. And, like, again, people who actually are first or second generation immigrants probably already got that just from contextual stuff mm-hmm. and their own background knowledge. But, you know, as a as a white person. <laughs> as a Mayflower white person. Yeah, as a super white person. Uh-huh. Um, I it, it helped me to have that context made a little bit more textual. I. I, I appreciate the olive branch. Thank you for, <laughs> for helping guide my ignorant white ass. Uh. Um, so, yeah, I do want to talk about the, the talent and what we find out what the inventor's big master plan is mm-hmm. and how that plays out. Because I'm, I'm a little of two minds on it. Okay. Like... I like it, and I like what it's saying, and mm-hmm. I like how it factors into stuff that had been going on in the volume. Mm-hmm. It's also very on the nose. Like, it's super literal. Yes. Which, I don't know if I inherently have a problem with. I guess I just, I hadn't expected this book to get that literal <laughs> with its metaphor. Uh-huh. So, uh, spoilers for the back end Here we go. of this volume, I guess. So, we we had already known that the inventor was, like, behind some kidnapped youth. Mm-hmm. What we find out by about a third of the way into this is that the, the youths are being used to power the machinery. They're serving mm-hmm. like batteries. We're going the Matrix with this. Yes. What we find out even further into it is these kids aren't kidnapped, they have volunteered. So the way... I almost wonder if they've been voluntold, though. (laughs) A little bit. Yeah, I think that's one of the aspects I kind of wished was a little more delved into. I'll I'll, I'll circle back to that. Uh So the premise of this is, is that this is a world where... Kamala's generation, that this young, these young people 
are endlessly berated, constantly told that they are a drain on re- pestilence, on or, resources, yeah. on society. They are blamed for everything wrong. And Which that millennials kind of know, and I'm sure, like, I'm the sure, Gen, younger I'm, than us. I'm sure Gen Z has it even worse. Yep. Um, and so what the inventor does is plays off of that and basically says, "Look, you, so the world has no use for you, but you can make yourself useful by letting me power machinery with you." And it basically taking the the doomed generation mentality and saying. Look, you won't ever accomplish anything else meaningful. You might as well let me use you for energy. Mm-hmm. And like, like I said, it's very literalized and it's very on the nose. Mm-hmm. I do kind of wish that we could have either... Because like Kamala says they've been brainwashed. They kind of say, eh, we don't, we really haven't. I kind of wish that either... We could have seen, like, maybe there was a little something that the inventor was using to nudge them further into that headspace. Yeah. Or that I could have heard the dude's pitch. Mm-hmm. I want to know how he actually pitched this to these kids. I know. It seemed a little too easy because I'm like, that, that is a, a big thing to sign up for. Yeah. Like, you have to be pretty disillusioned or it has to be a pretty charismatic and well thought out well sold pitch i i think that's the thing i'm missing a step because either these kids are disillusioned to the to a point that even i find a little bit difficult to swallow mhm or he sold it super well but we never get to see how he did that mhm in either way i feel like i'm missing a step in there like i can still get there it's the kind of step i can like make in my head but i kind of would have liked to have seen it mhm that having been said uh i do get it <laughs> cuz you know again i'm sure gen z has it way worse but you know speaking as a millennial who has been enduring decades worth of headlines about how millennials are killing Family restaurants and the diamond industry, as if it's our responsibility to uphold these these industries and this way of life that we didn't build, we didn't ask for, and doesn't benefit us, and mm-hmm. we are monsters for not helping sustain it. So I absolutely get where um, G. Willow Wilson is building all of this off of, mm-hmm. because yeah, been living it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. I, I I definitely want to say that. So I've said I'm kind of of two minds. I'm I'm a slightly a little. I kind of want to tweak the execution, mm-hmm. but the concept I get because this is something that has been hammered into now, like basically two successive generations. Yep, our generation and Gen Z mm-hmm. after us, and again for them probably even worse. Yeah, and yeah. That freaking sucks. Yeah, it's not great for the self-esteem and the... Just like... Well, things are already awful. Thanks for blaming everything on us. Yeah. Yeah. Good times. But we get Lockjaw, so... We do! We get we get Lockjaw. And the inventor uh, actually gets killed. Yeah. Um, and... Robot Rumble. Yeah, there's a this whole robot thing. I'm, I'm a... The the art is good. Um, 
the action scenes I sometimes had a hard time following. Fair. I think I think sometimes they again I feel like there's a step missed. Mm -hmm. Like they'll I'll see one thing, then I'll see an uh, like okay someone's like leaping here, and then it's like it's already over in the next panel. I'm like oh, okay. <laughs> well, I think that the artists do a really good job with Lockjaw jumping mid-air and also Lockjaw's toe beat. Yes, this is what I'm talking about. <laughs> Whereas you can see his belly and his little legs are stretched out and his tongue is hanging out of his mouth and it's ridiculous and he's usually being like... <laughs> he makes some great noises. Uh, he's a good boy. He good boy. Um, but yeah... Overall, I, I did like it. So it was we should, really fun. Yeah. We should probably talk a little bit about, about the, series. The, the, the series so far. So, yeah. Um, obviously, the powers are very different. Which I'm... We're still... I'm not. getting over slowly, partially because, like, at two episodes in, they are starting to do what I need them to do to counteract what's lost. So, uh, in case anyone isn't watching it, the... Uh, Ms. Marvel's powers in the comics are stretchy body powers, mm -hmm. which, you know, are... She I, can also make herself small or really... Yeah, big, she, yeah. yeah, she's like, it's full body stretch kind of stuff. But um, in, the, in the show, they're doing basically light const constructs mm -hmm. instead, which I, I get for the purposes that skin and fabric stretching actually has never has yet to look very good mm -hmm. and is expensive to do. So, like, from a practical matter, I get it. But changing it, I do think, loses something because her powers are weird and off-putting mm -hmm. to look at. And she's a gangly teenager. Mm -hmm. And those two things play into each other in a way that, oh, cool, pretty light constructs just yeah. don't. At all. I also don't love that her... Well, at least initially in the show, her powers appear to be coming from, from this gauntlet. Yeah. Well, by by the second episode, Bruno was like, I don't think it's coming from the bangle. I think it's coming from you. It's just the bangle activated it. it. yeah. Which, like, okay, that helps. Um, but the other thing that they're doing, which helps counterbalance this, because, like, I'm annoyed that I feel like we lost something with the power change. Uh-huh. But... If you're going to take something away, if you put something in its place of similar value, uh -huh. and what they appear to be putting into it is they are tying this bangle and possibly her powers to her own family. past and family and heritage, yeah. which wasn't really the case, in the, or at least in the first two volumes of the comic that we've read. Mm -hmm. Like, yes, she's an inhuman, and technically that's in her genes, but that's... Not really the same thing as being like, no, this has direct lineage to your mm -hmm. Pakistani heritage mm -hmm. and so forth. So it, the the show at time of recording is just starting to get into that a bit more, which that gives me more hope. But that's kind of really my only major criticism about the show. Well, that and I really hate high school drama, but that's not a fault of the show. That's just me being honestly... super done with it. I honestly don't think it's that bad. In no, show. it's not. Like, we can compare it to Stranger Things 4, which came out recently, which the first two episodes of that were insufferable. Yeah. I really hated those first two episodes. So, like, no, it's not bad, but it, it does emphasize to me, even when it's done well, and I can't say that there's anything wrong with it, I'm just so sick of it. That's fair. Um, but, but, that, but that's a me problem. <laughs> <laughs> yes. 
Um, I really like the cast. She's amazing. Iman Vellani. Yep. Um, and then Nakia's really growing on me in the second episode. We get more of her, which I like. Um, she's always kind of been more of a side character in the comics. Yeah. Um, so I like that we're getting a little more on her and her ambition and, you know, what she's going through. Um... I think we we get Cameron, who is, I think, introduced later on in the comics. That's we, that's the the new boy. The new boy, the cute new boy, um, uh, with sort of a mysterious mother and background that we will probably know more about by the time this episode airs. Well, you will. I won't. I'll be on vacation. I'll have yes, to catch up when true. I get back. Um, the guy who plays Bruno is good. Has a good. Um, good chemistry with her and then the father's adorable he is yes the father is adorable i love him he has a lot more personality than he did in the comics in the comics he was kind of a i'm just not going to get in your mother's way kind of person yeah so i again good cast i like i really like the soundtrack like the mashup of like sort of bollywood style stuff with like um just you know recent hits and well-known songs and things like that. So English songs and yeah, it's a nice mesh. Um, I like visual. I, I was gonna say I like. I'll let you talk about that. I like how they use her inclinations as a as a fangirl and an artist to like have uh, like her sketchbooks moving or like she's drawing something out on the on the chalkboard and and they get some movement in that or they have the graffiti move as she and Bruno are talking about. Um, possible cosplays for a, for going to a Avenger con. It's, it, it's nice. It gives it a, a nice visual flair that is fitting to the characters and, and makes it feel a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Honestly, if I've got a major concern about this, it's the fact that it's only six episodes long. Part of my concern with it only being six episodes, like this kind of came up with Moon Knight because like I was really enjoying that show but the last episode felt like everything was tied up super, super fast. Mm-hmm. And it was really frustrating. And knowing that Ms. Marvel is supposed to appear in the next Captain Marvel movie, which I'm fine with that, I'm excited for, I am, I'm having an increasing fear that this is going to ultimately take the shape of more a six-episode prequel to that than any actual story, like, with a satisfying conclusion that's meant to be, you know, absorbed as a complete piece. I'm, I'm starting to hit a point with the Disney Plus shows where I'm like, you are just starting to treat these as supplements to the movies as opposed to a way to actually tell their own stories. And they haven't completely gone that way yet, but they're starting to lean that way. Mm-hmm. And it makes me nervous. That's fair. Oh, and the music, I just looked it up. It's more of a, like, a lot of rap and, like, a lot of recent stars than necessarily Bollywood. So, to correct that. Um, yeah, it's, I like the show, and I really like the second volume, and I really love Lockjaw. <laughs> I don't, I don't think we're going to get Lockjaw on the show. 
but that I understand that. I would just enjoy him in the comics then a lot. I mean, well, the other thing is, unfortunately, they kind of had their bite at the apple with the Inhumans already because there was that very short-lived Inhumans TV show that nobody watched. Oh. And okay. Lockjaw was in that. Oh, he was? Well, I might have to watch it for just... You the... don't. Yeah, don't want to, even for Lockjaw. No. Okay. I'm going to tell you about one specific moment that broke the entire reality of that show for me. It was like, and this is the point where, and it wasn't even that good before, uh -huh. but this is the point where I cannot ever take this seriously. Uh -huh. So, in the comic, in the volume we just read, the Inhumans are currently set up at New Adelan, which is near Jersey, Jersey City. It's mm -hmm. like across the river. Mm -hmm. um, but original Adelan is a city on the moon. Okay. So the Inhumans live on the moon. Like you do. Like you do. So... This is some DuckTales stuff. <laughs> nonsense. DuckTales did it better um, because with the show, like, I was already super skeptical where, like, they went into one of the living spaces. And I'm like, that just looks like a generic modern ap apartment set. Uh -huh. Like, why does, why does it look like that? And then later on... I forget the character's name. He was played by the guy who played Ramsey Bolton. He is like doing a coup, uh -huh. and he's uh, and he has people restrain Medusa, and he goes to cut her hair off because her whole thing is she can control her hair. Uh -huh. And he pulls out these clippers and flicks them on his. Bzzz. They were freaking ten dollar clippers you could have bought at Walmart. Uh -huh. I was like. Why are those on the moon? I get that he's got to cut his hair. There's a Walmart on the moon, I, clearly. I get that he's got to cut her hair and that's his... But, but like, what, what, what production designer thought it was acceptable just to grab a pair of clippers? What director didn't go, wait a freaking minute? Mm -hmm. Like, ah, oh, oh, it's so bad. It's so bad. Oh. oh, okay. <laughs> I will take your word for it. Maybe I'll just find a clip of Lockjaw in that show. You can probably find clips of Lockjaw on YouTube. You'll be much better served for it. All right, that's fair. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, we're going to have uh, a quick commercial break. We've only got one bit of listener feedback. Mm -hmm. I'll let you read it because I'm really lazy. Oh, okay then. Well, we'll be back in a moment. Do you remember your first comic book? Do you remember the first time you held a cover in your hand and you flipped the pages, you read the adventures of these amazing heroes, and you really fell in love with the medium? The first time you bonded a character to a team, to a company, and you knew, yep, I'm in this for life? Well, so do we. So join us on the never-ending reading pile from the Pulp to Pixel Podcast Network, where we proudly don our nostalgia goggles, we dive into our favorite comics, our favorite eras, our favorite characters, our favorite creators, and we just bask in the glory that is being a comic book collector. Come join us and help us chip away at the never-ending reading pile. Hey, folks, we are back. Uh, as I said before, only one bit of listener feedback this time. Uh, and the last time we talked about stargazing, we have a comment from Brian Linton. Said, I enjoyed The Prince and the Dressmaker, so I'm glad to hear that Stargazing received generally positive reviews from you. I particularly like that Jen Wang doesn't appear to be bound to any particular genre or style of storytelling. 
Looking over a list of her work, I see she even contribu contributed to the Lumberjanes anthology, Lumberjanes bonus tracks, which is another big plus in my book. I'll have to keep an eye out for Wang's other work. Thank you for another excellent episode. That's another thing that maybe we should consider revisiting at some point. Lumberjanes? Lumberjanes. I'd be up for that. Yeah. Quite That's the thing. Like, enough time has passed, and now we've set the pres precedent. That we could go back. That we yes. could go back and, like, check out later volumes of some of this stuff. Sounds good. Cool. So, Yeah. That's kind of it. So next month, um, I don't have the details of, of it in front of me, but we're gonna be doing we're gonna be doing something a little bit different, which we'll kind of go over when uh, when we get to it. Okay. Um, but uh, following that, we we we're actually planned out several months, which doesn't happen. No, look at us. August, we're going to revisit. Speaking of revisiting, we're going to revisit She Hulk because mm -hmm. that show will have started. Uh huh. And September, what's September going to be? September is Katie and the Cat Sitter, I think. Okay. It's one of the um, Golden Dome books for the new list for the school year. And then October, we're doing Willow Weep Manor. Yeah, something of Willow Weep Manor, which is a which is at the high school level in Vermont. Um, so that's on the Green Mountain Book Award nominees for this coming school year. Cool. So there's several months worth of stuff to look forward to, look folks. At us. Yeah. yeah, but uh, that'll be it for this one. So uh, everybody, take care and have a good summer. Hope I hope you had a lovely Pride Month. Yes. Ooh. Bye. Bye. Tough Like a Girl is a Council of Geeks production and is presented on the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Comments can be left at fireandwaterpodcast.com and you can support the network by finding Fire and Water Podcast Network on Patreon. This particular show enjoys support from Carolyn and Brian Linton. Our logo art was created by Nick Buxom and our theme music is by Erica Dreisbach. Thanks again for listening.